Amen. Thank you. It is great to be with you. Uh, I'm remembering a Zoom call last year uh, where we were with you uh, through the uh, miracle of Zoom, and we saw many of your faces in those little squares, but uh, the real thing is so much better. Uh, it's good to be with you, and uh, we really are excited to be able to share this time with you tonight. It's been great to be with uh, uh, the conference. Uh, we had a great two days together with, uh, with the conference, and so we're grateful for the opportunity. I want to talk to you um, about the power of a generous life. Uh, you'll see the bottom. Don't just just disregard the bottom part. This is us. It's a it's a good <laughs> it is a good series. But I'll tell you, I I brought a mess a similar message. It's not the exact same message, but a similar message to the church that we planted in one of the last Sundays that we were there. Um, and I tell you that because the reason I want to share this tonight, uh, there are a few themes that have become passions for me uh, over the years. One of them was the theme of this conference that we just came from, and that was to be spirit-led. I mean, we could, we could definitely go there, and, we, and we, I would love to talk about you know, what it means to be spirit-led, but we just spent two days on that. And, but one of the others is this idea of the power of a generous life. Um, I, I want to say right up front, when you hear generosity, you probably start thinking money. And giving, and we're going to do a fun drive at the end of the night. That is not this, Pastor Christie. Let me just be very clear: did not request this message. Uh, he gave me the the freedom to talk about anything I wanted to talk about. Um, it's not primarily about money, and uh, you'll see that as we go. I mean, I will say that um, generosity always involves the giving of every part of our life. So generosity will always involve the giving of our finances. I can say I've known plenty of people who were givers who were not very generous. Uh, so you can, you can give without being generous, but I don't know that you can be generous without giving uh, financially. But we're, that's not where we're going to land ultimately. I, I want to read for you from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it's on the overhead. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8, and then also 10 through 11. Paul says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now in verse 10, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So here in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul is talking about generosity. Now, I will tell you that as a, as a pastor, for many years, I, I almost never talked about giving, financial giving. Uh, that may be strange for some. I mean, may, some pastors probably talk about it all the time. I, I had a hard time talking about it. I grew up in kind of a farm culture. 
and farm culture, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you support yourself and, you know, you don't ask for things like that. And I always struggled as a pastor because I had in my mind, I know that you know that ultimately I'm getting a salary from the church. And so I felt self-serving to talk about giving. And so I didn't talk about giving a lot, honestly. And I believed in tithing. Uh, I was taught to tithe when I was a little kid. I, I can remember my parents giving me money uh, when I would go to school, I mean, go to church, to Sunday school, so that I could put some, some coins in the offering plate or box when they sent it around. Um, and my parents were saying to me, as a small child, they were modeling the importance of giving. And it stuck, and I read the Bible, and I could see in the Scriptures as a teenager that giving is something that God asks us to do, and so out of obedience, I tithed uh, all the way through college. When I was working my way through college, I tithed. When I was working my way through seminary, I tithed. Pam and I got married. We tithed. Tithing was never an issue. for it. So I, it, it wasn't that I didn't believe in tithing. There was just this little thing in me that just didn't want to talk about that. Until God began to help me to understand that tithing or giving is simply a part of this much bigger thing called generosity. Uh, and so I began to, to dig into generosity. And, I, and you know, I began to, to try to understand what this whole generosity thing was. And I began to see that generosity is ultimately something that is rooted in God's very nature. You know, in Scripture, we, have, we actually have a three-word definition of God. God is, what? Love. God is love. But you cannot define love without the idea of giving. If you love someone, you give yourself to them for their highest good. Uh, John 3.16, the first verse you ever learned as a Christian. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Right? So giving is, is at the very heart of God's nature. And then when you bring in the understanding from Genesis 2 that you and I are made in the image of God, what does that mean? I mean, I think it means a lot of things. There are whole books that have been written on the image of God. But I do believe that one aspect of that means if God's nature is to be a giver and we're made in His image then that means deep down, God has put in our spiritual DNA this concept of generosity. And that we are most like God when we are living the way He designed us to live. And at the heart of that is generosity. Um, You know, tithing is based on the idea that God wants something from me. Generosity is based on the idea that God wants something for me. God says, I want you to learn the the secret and the power of generosity because it's going to make your life better as you learn that. You know, tithing is based, uh, is very narrowly defined. With tithing, you know, 10% belongs to God and the 90% is mine to do with whatever I want, right? With generosity, everything belongs to God. We recognize that there is nothing we have that does not come from God. It is ultimately not, uh, God is not responsible for. And so we begin to live life not just on the 10%, but on the 100%. Um, 
Tithing is, is rooted in the idea of an obligation or duty, but generosity is born out of a spirit of gratitude. Tithing is only about money. Generosity is about the whole of life. Generosity is about the way we speak to others. It is the way we encourage others. It is the way we live our life with others. It is the giving of ourselves to others in ways that make their life better. It lifts them up. It edifies them. Uh, And so generosity is a broader principle than just the idea of tithing. As we look at um, this passage, I want to try to break it down in a simple graphic um, uh, that, that, that shows what I would call the cycle of generosity. The cycle of generosity. Because that's exactly what we see in this passage that I just read, is that there is a cycle of generosity. Generosity begins with God's gracious provision. If you're listening carefully to the, the scripture as I read it, um, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, God is able to make all grace abound to you. God makes all grace abound to you so that on every occasion, at all times, in every way, you will be generous. And so it all starts with God. A little later on, the other passage that I read says that God will make you rich so that you can be generous on every occasion. So the, the, the cycle begins not with us, but the cycle begins with God's gracious generosity. He is generous towards us. The second part of the cycle is that we respond to God's generosity, first of all, with gratitude. Gratitude is our first response. We recognize that God has blessed us and we respond with gratitude. Um, now, I wanna, we're going to pause here for just a minute. And we're going to spend a little bit of time on this point. Because I do think for many people, this is where we can get stuck. Um, some of us would say, yes, I, I, I can see my blessings very deeply. I, I, I've been blessed with family that loves me. I grew up in a family that loved me. I was... Uh, brought into a church and when I was young and I have come to know the Lord. I've walked with the Lord and the Lord has blessed me. I can look at every turn and my life has been blessed. And I, I suspect there are some here tonight that would say, yes, I, I can see the abundant blessings of God on my life. There would be others that would push back and say, uh, Bishop, you know, your life may have been blessed that way. My life, not so much. I didn't grow up in a family that loved me. I didn't grow up in a great atmosphere. I grew up in a, in a really difficult atmosphere, a broken home or, or a home that was filled with anything but generosity. Uh, so they would, some would say, I spent my life running into one challenging thing after another. I mean, the truth is life is not fair. And some people really do go through life and it seems like everything they do is blessed. In others, it seems like at every turn, there's nothing but hardship and difficulty and pain. And so if we're asking this question, is this really a universal principle? I mean, does it, is it true for all people? If it is, does it work even for those who've had hardship and difficulty in their lives? Because we can't preach this gospel, we can't preach this message if it only applies to a handful of people that have really been blessed in, in ways that are obvious. What about those who regularly run into one difficulty after another. One of the most powerful things about 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and the verses that I just read to you 
is the context in which they were written. Because uh, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to, to know that what precedes 2 Corinthians 9 is 2 Corinthians 8. And if you go to 2 Corinthians 8, you have the story of the Macedonian church. And, and I want you to hear, uh, we're going to read just a little bit of this. So, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So this is the testimony of the Macedonian church. Now, I need to tell you a little bit of the context behind that testimony. Uh, What's happening here, this is a letter to the Corinthian church, right? Paul is writing to the Christians at Corinth. Um, What you need to know about Corinth is at the time when Paul wrote these words, Corinth was one of the wealthiest cities in the world. It was an opulent city. It was a magnificent city. I mean, Pam and I have had the opportunity a couple of times to go to the remains of Corinth. And you can see in the remains of Corinth that this was one day, at one time, a magnificent city. And it was. Uh, and Paul, is, Paul has been working with the Corinthians and asking them to give to a cause that he felt led by the Spirit uh, to champion, and that was to raise support for the church in Jerusalem. So the church in Jerusalem is, uh, is under great persecution. They are suffering. They are poor. And so Paul is raising money to support them, not only because it's just a great thing to bless them and give them their needs, but I think Paul was also, uh, the, I think the Spirit had inspired him to say, what a beautiful thing for the Gentile churches to send money to support the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. What better way to bring these two groups of people together for the Gentiles to sacrificially give to the, Jew, uh, to the Jerusalem church? And so Paul has been saying to the Corinthians, God, is, uh, you're, 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 God has blessed you so richly. And the Corinthians promised big, but delivered little. They, they, they said they were going to give, a significant, to give significantly to this, um, to this program that Paul was launching, but the truth is they had not come through. And there are points in First and Second Corinthians where you can see Paul beginning to get exasperated. He, at one point, he even practically shames them over the fact that they've not come through in this promise to give. But when he gets to Second Corinthians chapter 8, he takes a completely different tact. And instead of shaming them, he praises the Macedonian church. And you can see the the qualities or the marks of generosity in this little church. Uh, It's probably more than likely, most scholars would say it's the church in Philippi. Uh, The church in Philippi, which is in the Macedonian region of Greece, uh, today's Greece. And it says here, number one, they gave beyond their means... 
they gave of their own free will. No one, for, no one, in fact, Paul didn't even ask them. I mean, here's what's amazing, is that Paul didn't even ask them to give because the Macedonians were under extreme poverty and severe suffering. And so Paul looked at this with these Macedonians and said, you're worse off than Jerusalem. You know, I, I can't ask you to give to Jerusalem. Uh, I should be raising money for you. But what the Macedonians did was they came to Paul and said, Paul, please let us give. We want to be a part of this. We want to give. And so Paul says, out of their extreme poverty and severe suffering, they gave of their own will. It says also that they gave out of a surrendered life. They gave first to God, giving of every kind. Generosity is ultimately an act of worship to God. They gave first to God. You know, we don't give to impress people. We don't give to uh, get the applause of people. We give of ourselves as an act of worship to God. But what absolutely blows me away in this passage are those words out of their extreme poverty and their severe suffering, uh, they welled up in uh, rich generosity. I put it in a little equation here because uh, I want you to see this. You think of this as an equation. Severe trial plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. In what world is that true? I just can't, when you look at it this way, you think, how, how does that, that's, a, that's a, a math equation that just doesn't add up. Except for, and some of you know this, some of you are saying, yeah, but you, you know, Bishop, you left out one little part. There, this is not the whole uh, equation. The full equation is severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Overflowing joy changes the entire equation completely. It was overflowing joy that caused these people who are in extreme suffering, uh, extreme poverty and severe suffering, to well up in rich generosity. Uh, uh, Joy is one of those words that every Christian knows. We all understand that I mean, it's one of the fruits of the Spirit, right? You know, one of the fruit of the Spirit uh, is joy. It's a love, joy, and peace. And so we all know joy. We talk about the joy of the Lord. We sing about joy. But I sometimes wonder if we really understand what joy is. What does it mean to be a people who are filled with overflowing joy? Um, you know... Faith is a concept that is actually defined clearly in Scripture. You can go to Hebrews 11 and get a two-verse definition of faith right there. As far as I'm aware, there's not a succinct definition of joy anywhere in the Bible. But when you begin to look at everything that joy is associated with, I think the picture emerges. Let me say, first of all, it absolutely is not any, it has nothing to do with your emotions. Joy is not about being happy. Uh, we as Christians are not called to live in denial. When we're in pain, we should hurt. When we're grieving, we will grieve. Uh, there is nothing about joy that is meant to be purely emotional. I believe joy 
in Scripture is based on a, a deep sense of well-being that is rooted, first of all, in gratitude for God's gifts and faithfulness in the past. So we're, we're aware of, uh, we can be joyful because God has been faithful in the past. Secondly, because we have the assurance of our identity in Christ today. And then thirdly, out of a sure and certain hope in God's promises. This is past, present, and future truth. The truth of our situation, the truth of every situation as Christians, is not defined by my circumstances the truth of my situation is, is defined by the fact that I, I belong to a God who has always been faithful in the past. He has claimed me to be His beloved Son. Uh, he has made me His own child, and I now have an identity as a beloved Son of God. And then thirdly, I have an inheritance in the future that gives me the, the strength and the perseverance to get through anything in this world today. How many times do you hear Paul and other writers of the New Testament saying, fix your eyes on eternity. Fix your eyes on heaven. Don't don't get your eyes caught on, on the circumstances, but you can be joyful even in the midst of difficulty if you understand God's faithfulness in the past, your identity in the present, and your inheritance in the future. And I believe that that's what really enabled uh, these Macedonian Christians to give themselves in that way into generosity. And this is where you begin to see at a really deep level that generosity is so much more than just giving. It's knowing who we are and letting the truth of our identity and and our future and our past lead us into a place of rich generosity. Um, As we continue on around the circle, because I do want to continue around this uh, cycle here. The second response is joyful, generous giving. Joyful, generous giving. The first response is gratitude. The second response is giving. And and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but just simply to make this point. You know, there's that one little line where it says, God loves a cheerful giver. Um, Can I confess to you that for a long time in my life, the way I heard that voice, that verse, was a God who was saying, you better give and you better like it. That was the way I heard that verse. Is that give and you better be happy about it, right? I have now come to believe that that is the exact opposite of what God is saying. What God is really saying is this, that those who are generous, those who give of themselves in every way, are those who have gotten the secret. They have discovered the secret that you cannot outgive God. They have discovered the secret that when you give, it's not God taking something from you. You're just moving into what God always wanted for you. Because as people made in the image of God, we are most alive, not when we're clinging and holding on desperately to what we have, but living life free and open and surrendered to say, God, use me however you want to use me. That's when we're most alive. And so those who are truly generous are um, joyful people. They respond in that way. The, the, the last part of the cycle goes to God's pleasure and reward. So it says that God is pleased when we give. 
But there's even more. He says, uh, if you reap sparingly, you will sow sparingly. But if you reap generously, you will, um, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. Um, This is a principle that we see throughout God's word. Uh, I I do want to make this comment, though. Anybody here heard of the prosperity gospel? I am not proclaiming the prosperity gospel. It's, it's fascinating to me how those who really are committed to the prosperity gospel, it always starts with what you need to send me, right? It begins with, hey, send me money and God will bless you back. But the other thing is that it's really focused on uh, ultimately, what am I going to get out of this? You know, if I, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, get rich, a spiritual get-rich-quick scheme. If you want $1,000, give 100 and God will multiply it tenfold back to you. And people who live that way are focused not on generosity, but on how can I acquire more for myself. What we're talking about is very different than the prosperity gospel. It is the true gospel that says this. God, has, God loves to bless those who give themselves away because God says, I can trust you. I'm going to give more to you because you're just going to turn around and give it away. And again, I'm not, don't think primarily about tangible things, money and stuff. Think about life. Think about joy. Think about the ability to impact lives in a positive way. I mean, you, you, you've experienced this, right? I mean, can you remember the last time you went to someone who was in need and you spent a, a, a 30 minutes with them or maybe a few hours and, and, and you gave to them in their hour of need? Did you leave feeling empty? No, we, we leave feeling even more full than we were than when we started. Because we, the more we give, the more God just pours out. God says, I will make you rich in every way so that you can be generous in every way. And so this is the beauty of the cycle. The cycle is that it starts with God's gracious provision, but as we respond with gratitude and with joyful, generous giving, God loves that, and God blesses us with more, and we have a never-ending supply of everything we need. God says, I will give you abundantly all that you need on every occasion, at all times, in all places, so that you can abound in generous giving. This is the generosity principle. I want to say that it work, it, it, it's, it's a principle that, that we're meant to discover for ourselves personally, but it's also a principle, I believe, that uh, congregations can discover, churches can discover. I do believe you asked earlier, and this is where some of this comes in. Uh, you know, the, the thing, one of the things that we learned as a church over the years is that the more we focus outward, the more we give ourselves away to the community, to give ourselves away to those who are in need. Uh, to to re- it, God never leaves us lacking when we determine to bless others. You know, the world works on this zero-sum game where if I give something to you, you, get, you gain and I lose, right? God's economy is miraculous because in God's economy, when I give to you, you gain and so do I. And that's the way it works. And it works in congregations as well as for individuals. And so we want to encourage this spirit of generosity that would cause you to say, how can we bless our community? How can we find ways to bless those outside of our church? 
And as you do, God also blesses you in the process. I want to close with, with a, a brief reading um, from Eugene Peterson. Um, Eugene Peterson is a, uh, you've pro- most of you probably know uh, the Message Bible. He was the one who tra- paraphrased, it's not a translation, but paraphrased the Bible um, in the Message. He's written loads of books on spiritual formation. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a favorite of mine, but he tells a story they have a, he's, he's gone now, but when he was living, he had a, a summer home that was next to a lake, and there was a cliff. And uh, the, their breakfast nook, they could see that cliff from where he ate breakfast every morning. And he said, uh, at a certain time of year, the swallows made nests in the cliffs, and so hundreds of swallows would be flying around and, and they would go off and they would find an insect and they would come back and they would bring it and feed the little one. Uh, and he's just sitting there watching this take place. And, and so he's watching them get these insects, bring them back. He says this went on for days. And then finally, there came a point where one day he looked out and there were three little baby swallows on a dead limb that was about four feet above the water. Uh, and, and those three little babies were there, and the, the and mother and the, the father were gathering insects, feeding them there on the little branch. Uh, but then he said there came a point where it's almost like the parents said, that's enough of that. Uh, it's time for you to get your own wings and fly. And so they came down, and this is literally what he watched. What he watched was one of the parents came and began to push the three little birds toward the end of the dead limb. So the first one falls off the limb, and the parent understands something that the little bird does not know yet. That is, he's going to fly as soon as he falls. And sure enough, he falls off the end, begins to fly. Second one, they just push, 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 and the second one falls off and begins to fly. He said, but the third one would not be bullied. And the third one, the parent pushed and pushed. He fell over off the end of the branch, grabbed hold of this branch with his, one of his talons and clung on for dear life and was holding on upside down. And the parent began to peck at his talons and he kept pecking until the pain was worse than the fear. And finally the little bird let go. He began to fall and immediately began to fly. Now listen to what Peterson says as he reflected on what he had just watched. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk and they can cling. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what we do best. It is the air into which we were born. It is the action that was designed into us before our birth. God gives Himself. He also gives away everything that is. He makes no exception for any of us. We are given away to our families, uh, to our neighbors, to our friends, even to our enemies, to the nations. Our life is for others. That's the way creation works. Some of us try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of a bank account for dear life. 
Afraid to risk ourselves on the untried wings of giving. We don't think we can live generously because we've never tried. But the sooner we start, the better. For we're going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. Father God, we thank You so much for Your abundant generosity. And Lord, we hear this tonight, and there's a part of our flesh that does want to cling. But Lord, I thank You that it's so clear in Your Word that You've called us to die, to surrender, to give up, in order to finally receive the life that You always meant for us to have. And we hear that that life is not one that is consumed with self, but one that is given for others. And so, Lord, help us to walk into the fullness of that truth. Uh, We pray for the church here at Carnforth. Lord, that you would bless them abundantly. That you would pour out blessings on this congregation. That they would be uh, so deeply aware and, and filled with gratitude and joy. And that out of that joy, that they would be such a blessing to this community in ways that draw the lost to you, in ways that give the broken hope, in ways that result in more and more lives being put back together by your grace. Lord, bless this church. Make them rich in every way so they can be generous in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.